0: The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. This week, our college pastor, Eric Keeling, will be speaking about Peter's confession of Christ. Let's join Eric now as he brings us the Word of God.
1: It's uh, hard to believe, but it's been just over a year since the last time I got to be here, and bring God's Word to all of you. Um, As is always the case, I am humbled by the privilege. And I pray that the Lord uses this time this morning to magnify His name, to glorify Himself. And with that, let's pray. Father, again we come to You humbly, asking for You to do As only you can, make yourself known. Father, we ask that you would would just do an amazing work of, of showing yourself to us this morning that we might just be in awe, for you are worthy, you are awesome, you are holy, and you are majestic, and you are worthy of all of our praise, you are worthy of our attention, and so this morning... May we give it to you faithfully. Father, minister to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you would, take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. I always say it's, it's so hard to get up and preach one sermon, um, there's been no foundation laid for me. There's been no groundwork laid for me. Pastor Matt can take four sermons and get through a psalm. But I, I, I get one shot at this. I get one, one brief little bit of time with you. And so I, I go to Jesus. I go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. You may not immediately recognize the reference... Um, But you will undoubtedly know the passage. This is definitely one of the most well-known pieces in all of Scripture. This is Peter's great confession of Jesus as the Christ. Matthew writes, starting in verse 13, Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, I was talking with Pastor Matt this week, and... Uh, he was very much looking forward to man camp and getting out and being a man, and being with all the, you know, hanging out and throwing the boys around. He has three daughters, so he just doesn't get to enjoy that stuff. And so he was so looking forward to it. We were talking about my sermon, and he goes, You're not going to cry again, are you? And I said, I'm going to try not to. <laughs> you know, it just seems to be my, my tendency. But when I talk about Jesus, just it's, it's something comes out. This is so amazing. And Luke... If you look to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 9, he has this recorded as coming right after the feeding of the 5,000 that great multitude of people when Christ met their physical needs there, uh, which really wasn't 5,000. It was probably somewhere around fifteen or 16,000. It was 5,000 men. Um, and, and so Luke in chapter 9, he records that Jesus has sent out the 12. They've done their ministry in the surrounding areas. They feed the 5,000, and then Peter comes and, and gives this great profession of Jesus as the Christ. Mark, however, records this as coming after the feeding of the 4,000. This separate event. In Mark 8, we see that Jesus feeds the 4,000. He has one of his famous run-ins with the Pharisees because that's what he did. Um, And then there's actually an account of Jesus healing a blind man. And then we have Peter's great confession. Matthew also records this event as taking place after the 4,000. And I, I am sure that Matthew and Mark are right. Because if you look just a little bit ahead... Matthew tells us in verses 7 and 9, or sorry, in verses 9 and 10, he says, Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large basketfuls that you picked up? Matthew is telling us both have already taken place. They've both happened. There's been these two amazing feedings that have taken place. And so here we are now, after the feeding of the 4,000, and we need to understand that just because the timelines don't match up, that doesn't mean that we disregard the event. It doesn't mean that we throw this chunk of Scripture away. The lesson that I take from this is that Luke wasn't concerned about chronological accuracy. It just wasn't his issue. Luke had bigger things in mind as he wrote his Gospel. That wasn't his number one concern, and that's okay, isn't it? Isn't that fine? You know, uh, about two years ago, I guess, or two summers ago, Pastor Shane and I had the amazing privilege of, with, I should say, with much help from Jacqueline Shea and Stacey Meyer to take uh, some college students and high school students down to Ecuador. And I assure you, that if you were to go up to Pastor Shane and ask him, you know, so what did you guys do in Ecuador? He would ramble off a, a long list of, oh, we had amazing lunch under the waterfall. It was beautiful. We played soccer with the kids because he loves soccer and we're playing soccer with the kids in the jungle and, and it was just amazing and, and we carried lots and lots of buckets of water. I'm sure that he would share that with you. If you were to come up to me and ask me, hey, what did you do in Ecuador? I may say, oh well, we we played with the kids in the river, you know, while we were in the jungle. Um, we went on this amazing hike out in the middle of the Amazon, and and it started pouring on us while we were out there. We we uh, oh man, we did so many amazing. We we baptized over fifty Wadani people in, in the river down there, and we carried lots and lots of buckets of water. I too would tell you because we can never forget those buckets of water. They were heavy. We're both telling you different things, but they're still true, right? Adam, did those things all happen? Or Andrew? Yes. Andrew, they did. All those things happened. We did all of those things. They're true. They're just maybe different orders, hearing different things. It's okay. That's fine. But here we have this amazing thing, and it doesn't change the message. It doesn't change the impact of this amazing profession. The timing is still that the three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all recorded this wonderful confession. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. This is the most important question that every human being must face. Amen. Everyone who has ever been born must face the question, who is this Jesus? Who is He? This is the title of our sermon this morning and maybe you're asking why is this the ultimate question and I would tell you because every false religion that has ever existed in the past or is existing today is a false religion because they have a false understanding of Jesus Christ they want to mess with Jesus They almost always want to make him out to be something less than he is, something other than he is. They'll call him a good teacher, a moral man, or even a prophet, which is what the crowd declared Jesus is, right? He's a prophet. In Islam, Jesus is a prophet. In Mormonism, you have something of Lucifer's brother and many other different thoughts about Jesus, and then even in Catholicism, Jesus simply isn't enough. It's Jesus plus. It's not even that, that these false religions are always saying inaccurate things about Jesus. They're not always saying inaccurate Jesus was a good teacher, right? Jesus was a moral man, right? You know? He was a prophet. But they're not telling us the whole truth. They're they're, they're messing with it just a little bit. They're leaving things out or they're trying to soften it. And so we come back to our passage here. And as we look at this, Jesus is alone with his disciples. We can compile based on Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account. We see that, that he is walking probably through the villages on the outskirts leading into the city of Caesarea Philippi. He's entering into this this fairly large city, Caesarea Philippi was predominantly a Gentile city. It sat about 25, 25 miles north northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And Caesarea Philippi was only a, a couple miles from the city of Dan. Now, if you know anything about the city of Dan, it was believed to, for centuries, to be the northernmost point of the Promised Land. This was the the top edge of where God's people lived, and then you have this Gentile city right nearby, Caesarea Philippi, a large pagan city, and we can only imagine the influences that were that were in there. And this conversation that Jesus is happening having with his disciples is coming some two to two and a half years into his ministry. His ministry, his earthly ministry with them, is is coming near its end. And not only have the disciples seen Jesus go out and do some amazing things, right? They've walked with Him for two, two and a half years. They've seen Jesus do some pretty crazy stuff. But like I already mentioned, Jesus had also sent them out to do some pretty amazing things. Matthew records for us in chapter 10 as Jesus was sending out his twelve disciples, he commands them, and he says, As you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Can you imagine? I can't. I can't. I, I was talking with our, our college group on Thursday night about how these guys must have just been like, Whoa. Jesus, you're not going to believe We were actually raising people from the dead out there. We were laying hands on them and praying. And people were healing them. And demons were coming out. And all this amazing stuff is going on. They've done it themselves. Because Christ sent them out in power and authority. And so they've, they know all of this. They've seen all of this. They've experienced all of this with Jesus. And, and, and I can't imagine these guys and all that they had done And now they're walking with Jesus and He asks them this question. We pick up again in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, do you really think that Jesus didn't know what the people were saying about Him? He knew, right? Some commentators will say, you know, Hey, the disciples, they had been out in the villages. They had been traveling around. They had been healing people. They they had more of that interaction with the crowd, you know. They knew where the crowd was coming from, what the crowd really thought. Jesus was more aloof, you know, in some ways. He wasn't really in there with the crowd. I still think he knew. Jesus knew what the crowd thought of him. I don't think this question was for Jesus to learn something that he didn't know. It was for him to try and understand, oh, what do the people think about me? I think the question was for the disciples. I think Jesus wanted the disciples to consider this. He wanted them to stop and think about, who do the people say that I am? I've been out healing and preaching, and I've sent you out healing and preaching and proclaiming this message, the kingdom of God is at hand. They've seen all that. They've heard all that. Who do they say that I am? And that takes us to our next question. Who are these people? These aren't just, you know, guys out in no man's land. He's talking about the people who have, have experienced these things. Who, who does the crowd? Those who have been healed by either me or you. Those who have heard me preach. These, these people who, whose lives are being changed in either physical ways or or spiritual ways, who do they say that I am? Who do they say the Son of Man is? And these people undoubtedly would think of Jesus in a positive light, right? I mean, they were lame and now they're up walking around. They were blind and now they can see. They were lepers cast out from the rest of society and, and now they're, back living with their families. These are people that would think of him in in, in a positive light, and Jesus is like, who do they say the Son of Man is? I love that he refers to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Jesus often referred to himself this this way. Probably about 80 times, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And this was definitely a title that was understood to be the Messiah. Son of man, they understood that's the Messiah. Daniel chapter 7 tells us. um, says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion. Glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I love what John MacArthur says about this title that Jesus uses for himself. He says, It was clearly recognized by Jews as a title of the Messiah, but because it emphasized his humanness, Many Jews preferred not to use it. No doubt it was for that reason that Jesus did prefer it to focus on the humiliation and submission of his first coming and his work of sacrificial substitutionary atonement. Doesn't that just seem like our Jesus? He's walking amongst his creation, knowing that he's come to bring about salvation. Knowing what his purpose is, and he chooses the title Son of Man. The humility of our Lord. Jesus knew what the the Jews were looking for in the coming Messiah, right? What did they want? They wanted a king. They wanted to come in and overthrow Rome and set up the throne and let's show them who's boss. That's what they wanted. That's what they were looking for in their coming Messiah. Come in and take care of business. Ven- avenge us. Avenge all that we've, we've suffered. But Christ wanted them to understand that His first com- coming was something different. He had a different purpose. And so let's look at the response of the people. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. And others, Elijah. Elijah. But still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. They throw out four different possibilities. They say, well, some think maybe John the Baptist. Some maybe Elijah, Jeremiah, or just one of the prophets. So let's look at these four uh, just briefly. John the Baptist. Herod the Tetrarch, um, he thought this. Herod the Tetrarch was a little concerned Uh, in Matthew 14, we get his account. It says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus. He had heard all that Jesus was doing. He had heard the amazing miracles that Jesus was performing, raising people from the dead. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Herod was afraid of John the Baptist, You know, thinking he's coming back, because he was, a, he was a, an interesting guy, and, and they had a run-in. But I think also... Even more than just what Herod was saying, and certainly the people's hearing, they're hearing that Herod thinks maybe he's John the Baptist, come back. Um, but I think also it goes to the heart of their message. When you think of John the Baptist, when you think of Jesus, I think their messages were, were similar in many ways. In Mark's account of Jesus sending out the twelve, he tells them that when they go out, he says they went out and they preached that men should repent. That was the message that Jesus told the disciples. He says, when you go out, you're going to perform miracles, you're going to cast out demons, you're going to heal the lame, you're going to do all these things. And he says, proclaim the kingdom of God is near, repent. The kingdom's close, get right. Doesn't that sound a little like John's message? Isn't that similar to what John was preaching? When I think of John, I think of one just kind of a funny looking guy, hairy, whatever, eating weird stuff. But he was, he was the one, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, making straight the path for the Messiah, proclaiming a message of repentance. I think that they, they lined up pretty closely. And then there's Elijah. And there are some obvious similarities between Elijah's ministry and Jesus' ministry. I don't think that anyone had seen the things that Jesus was doing since the days of Elijah. He, he was coming on the scene and just performing miracles. And Elijah did some crazy stuff. Go back and read through some of the, the kings and the chronicles, and woo! Elijah had, he did some amazing things. He was a prolific prophet. And I think the people, they knew the power that Elijah had, the things that Elijah did, and they're like, he may be Elijah back. You know, he's doing all these same types of things that Elijah had done. And then, The Jews also are looking for Elijah, right? Malachi 4. Elijah's going to come back before that great day of the Lord, before the Messiah comes. So much so the Jews still believe this that when they celebrate Passover every year, what do they do? They leave an empty seat at the table. They're hoping that one day Elijah will come back and fill that seat. They're looking for Elijah to come back. So they thought maybe Jesus was Elijah. Jeremiah. This one threw me a little bit. I'm like, Jeremiah, you know. Jeremiah, really? How? In what ways? You know? And, and there are some accounts. Some say that uh, in one of the apocryphal books, actually, in Second Maccabees, uh, they talk about Jeremiah possibly taking the Ark of the Covenant and the Altar of Incense and hiding it away. And they think that maybe Jeremiah is going to come back before the Messiah, bring those things out and put them in. I don't know. But Jeremiah, he was the weeping prophet, right? Jeremiah, boy, did he suffer in his ministry. Never a convert. Never anyone wanting to listen to anything he had to say. Isn't that Jesus? How much he must have suffered in his three, three and a half years with these guys and in his life, just his whole life, his 30-some years, seeing his creation, seeing them just reject him. His own people, the Jews, just reject him and turn from him. Or even just one of the prophets. We knew the prophets say they, they they did some some cool things too. You know, Elisha was pretty cool himself, and some of these. Maybe he's just a prophet, just another prophet come back. You know what I immediately notice about all this is that it's the thoughts that they had on Jesus, the expectations they had, whether they they thought he was John the Baptist come back because of this powerful message of repentance he was preaching, or whether they thought he was Elijah because he was performing these amazing miracles, or Jeremiah, or just one of the prophets. And all of these ideas, they understood that he was something special. They recognized that there was something to this Jesus. The crowd, they got that. It's just that they believed him to be another one of the forerunners. Another one who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Not the Messiah himself. And as I said before, any time you have a, a false teaching or a false religion or any of those things, it comes back to a false understanding of Jesus. And so now, Jesus has heard his disciples tell him what the people think of him. And now it's time to really get to the heart of it. You guys, you've walked with me. I've poured into you. We've we've snuck off. You know, I've explained some of my parables to you. I didn't want the crowd to understand, but I pulled you aside. I, I made made it clear to you. I taught you. Who do you say I <laughs> am? Yeah. You know, this is the question that must remain for everyone. These guys, they, they've gone out, they've performed miracles, they've, they've done amazing things in his name. Who do you say I am? You know, there's a lot of really good people out there doing some, some really neat things by worldly standards. They're financially helping, they're physically helping, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff in this world. But the most important question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's, that's what matters, and I think that the disciples probably recognized that the crowd was missing something. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think you're John the Baptist. We, we walked with John. We know you're not. You know, you're, you're, there's something different about you. You know, and you're not Elijah. You never said you were Elijah. You know, that's not. That, the disciples knew. I'm sure there was something the the crowd was was lacking in some way in their understanding of who Jesus was, and so of course their spokesman speaks up. Who is the spokesman of the twelve? Peter. You can always count on Peter. The first to open his mouth. One commentator says that Peter, uh, his comments were brief, emphatic, and decisive. That is usually the case with Peter. And the more I, I considered this passage, the more I consider Peter and the man he was, the more I realized that I'm really a lot like him, um, If you ask any of the pastors, they'll tell you that I'm usually the first to throw in my two cents. Uh, I'm the first one to tell you what I think. When a question is raised, I got an answer. I'll I'll give it to you. I'm not always brief, but I'm usually emphatic and decisive. Uh, But but, but I always have an answer. I'm I'm the first one, and I have certainly had my open mouth, insert foot moments. Uh, I look back, and I'm just like, yeah, that probably shouldn't have said that, you know. That's, but that's I, I just I find some common ground with Peter here. But he is a spokesman. He speaks up. Um, you know, and here Peter gets it right. He he nails it. He he opens his mouth and he speaks these amazing words. Verse sixteen. Simon Peter answered and said, You oh skip that one, sorry. He says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The term Christ here is a Greek word for the Hebrew term Messiah. And so although the crowd thought of Jesus as only a forerunner for the Messiah, Peter declared him to be the Messiah. You are him, the one we've been looking for, the Messiah. And the funny thing is that from the very beginning, the disciples believed this about Jesus. They really did. John chapter 1 says, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. They understood. Andrew you know, he, he met Jesus that first day and walked with him and spent some time with him. And he runs to his brother and he's like, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. He's here. He is among us. And we all know that, that John the Baptist was, was pretty clear that he was not the Messiah. They came out. They asked him, are you him? I'm not him. I'm not fit to, to strap the sandal, you know, to lace it up. I, I can't. i I'm, I'm not him. I'm not that that man. I'm here to make straight the path. But something happened. They began to question this. The disciples began to question, is he really the Messiah? Because he wasn't doing the things that they expected the Messiah to do. Even John John the Baptist began to question this. As he's being held in prison by Herod, he he gets a couple of his disciples, he says, Hey, go ask Jesus, are you the expected one? Or should we be looking for someone else? Even John was like, What's going on? You're not you're not shutting Rome down. You're not setting up your, your kingdom. You're you're suffering. You're being chased out of places. You're being persecuted. They're trying to kill you. What's going on? Something's not right here. And so they began to doubt this. They knew from the beginning, but they began to doubt it would seem. So though they believed him from the beginning, there were still some questions. And now they're two, two and a half years in, and Jesus is essentially asking them the same thing, saying, do you still believe that I'm the Messiah? Do you still believe that I am the one and Peter nails it. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you remember, when Jesus first asked the question, he says, Who do people say the Son of Man is? That, that humble statement. That statement of his humanity. And in Peter's confession, he refers to Jesus as a Son of the living God. You get both, right? You get both. You see that they're one and the same. The Son of Man and the Son of the Living God, one and the same. There is humility, meekness, and humanity found in the person of Jesus, the Son of Man. But there is also power and authority and deity found in the person of Jesus, the Son of the Living God. So there you have the answer to the question who is this Jesus? He is the Christ the Son of the living God. He is Messiah. He is Savior. So what does this mean? It means that if Jesus is who He says He is, we need to ask the question, what do we do with Him? What do we do with this Jesus? And the reality is that that each and every person who has ever lived, who has ever walked this earth other than Christ Himself, has been a wretched sinner. Has been an enemy of God. At war with Him. Just like we're told in Romans for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all at enmity with Him, living for ourselves and our own glory and not His. But while we were in that state, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die paying the penalty for our sins. For the wages of sin is death. Death had to take place. That is the payment for sin. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, fulfilling the prophecies and proving Himself to be God. You know, it's not just about the cross. It's not just about Jesus, believing in Jesus, who is this Jesus you believe in? This is the question. Oh, I believe in Jesus died on the cross. Great, so does Satan. He believes it too. But who is this Jesus? Is He your Lord? Is He Messiah? Is He the one who paid the penalty for your sins? Acts 4.12 One of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's one of my early memory verses. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is definitely a preacher. He he preached. He taught. He was a prophet. He's all those things. And so much more. So much more. He's God. He's God in the flesh. He is the only way to salvation. If you have Jesus wrong, nothing else matters. If you have Jesus wrong, if you don't understand who He is and what He has accomplished, nothing else means anything. If you're believing that, that there's something you bring to the table, if you're believing that 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 you can somehow earn His favor or earn His grace, you don't know Jesus. You don't know the Jesus I know, the Bible. You've got a different Jesus. Just like the Mormons do, just like the Muslims do, you've got a different Jesus. Our faith is in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Messiah, God come down, it is finished. If you believe that He is who He says He is and you put your faith in Him, It is finished. Let's pray. Father, we we just thank You again, as always. I can't stop thanking You because You are so good in that You were willing to send Your Son. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That he might lay down his life, paying the penalty for my sins. For the sins of wretched men and women who are living for their own glory. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In whose name we
0: pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.